Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that has just a little more taste and style than a Bartles and James wine cooler. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly broadcast dedicated to all of us pipe and tobacco hobbyists throughout the world. And someday if we get this on FM airwaves, it might even go interplanetary. Imagine the first sounds of Earth that a that an alien life form hears is this show. They're going to turn around and go back. Anyway, got a big show, all tobacco-related. Lots and lots of tobacco talk on this episode. So, for pipe parts, I'm going to give you my basic rundown on the difference between uh, cigarette tobacco and pipe tobacco. The differences in the plants and the leaves and the processing and this, that, and the other. My guest, Dr. Fred Hanna. Fred is a uh, noted pipe collector, author of many articles blender of tobaccos fred's done it all and he's been doing it for a while can't wait to hear what he talks about we're gonna i'm gonna ask him about vitamin n so hang on and listen to that music mailbag and a rant specifically related rant uh to what we did this weekend yes the races were in town and this is what i heard for uh about uh seven hours over the weekend was recorded on my uh, mobile device, so you'll have to excuse the recording, but that was from uh, Pit Road about 10 laps into the race as the cars started to get stretched out. Uh, lots of fun, lots of sun. Weather wasn't too bad either. Uh, NASCAR is uh, getting a little fussy on smoking, but uh, we won't complain about that too much. They don't want smoking in the stands anymore or on Pit Road, so... Yeah, the whole world's starting to crack down on us. NASCAR used to be sponsored by the Winston brand of cigarettes. Now they don't want smoking visible. But we were there when the uh, Fox camera cables dropped and got wrapped up in a couple of cars and saw them dangling for a couple of laps before the uh, before the caution flag was thrown. So, all right, enough race talk. We'll have more at the rant in the end. In the meantime, everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Let's get the show going. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back. In just a few minutes, Fred Hanna will be on the phone with me. In the meantime, in Pipe Parts... I'm not an expert in this, but I've been around long enough that I have a basic understanding of some of the differences between uh, tobacco that's used for cigarettes and tobacco that's used for pipe tobacco. The basics of it, and I'll boil it down into the simplest nutshell possible, it's hot dogs versus USDA grade A prime rib beef. That's it. End of segment. Cigarettes are hot dogs. Pipe tobacco and uh, cigar leaf is top-notch beef. That's it. But let me get into a little bit more detail for you. So basically, the Virginias and the Burleys that are used are for domestic cigarettes, and I'm talking about current day production in the past 10-15 years, are almost identical. There's a difference in the strain of seeds that the farmer is going to use if he's going to try to grow some really good Virginia. There's a difference, a little bit difference in the way they're going to treat it. But essentially what they're going to do is they're going to look for the best leaves and try to sell them for as much as possible. And pipe tobacco does cost more than cigarette tobacco does. Now, in the processing side of it, when they're harvesting tobacco, if it's just a cigarette cigarette crop, they're going through and they're pulling out the whole plant, stock and all, and taking it into barns, 
drying it, flu curing it, forcing it to speed age, as opposed to pipe tobacco where they're coming in and they're harvesting the leaves off of the stalk individually, tying them into hands, doing the air curing or the flu curing process with them. So there's a slight difference there. Now when you get into actually cutting the tobacco, Cigarette tobacco is not treated really nicely. They will, in most cases, cut all the leaves off the stalk, but there's a center stem that goes right up the leaf. That center stem of a leaf of Virginia tobacco is about 30% of the weight of the entire leaf. It can be up to 50%, depending on how uh, how big that stem is in the middle. For pipe tobacco, that stem is stripped out. There's stripping machines where they run the leaves through after it's cured and, and hung. There's stripping machines where they'll take it out, or the, uh, the tobacco cutter will, in some of the old factories in the old days and in some cigar factories, you'll see them hand-stripping that center stem out. So now the tobacco company, the pipe tobacco company or the cigar company is now buying this leaf with the stem in it and taking anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of the weight of the leaf that they just paid for and the first thing they're doing is throwing that away that stem has absolutely no taste in it no flavor in it delivers nothing except it fills up space in the cigarette processing it's all thrown in there The cigarette tobacco can also cut and use the entire leaf all the way to the edges because they cut it so small. When you're looking at a shag cut or a very long ribbon cut tobacco or even some of the aromatics, you lose a lot of the edge of the leaf in the cutting. So again, now you're losing more leaf. Now the big difference comes in in the processing because cigarette companies will, once the tobacco is dried and cured, it's pretty much good to go for them. For our pipe tobaccos, those tobaccos go through some sweats, they go through some curing, they get turned, it gets time is applied to them so that they get a further amount of aging. Remember when I talked about what Orlick and what some of the bigger factories do is they buy tobacco crops and then they sit on them for three years before they use the first third of that crop and then the second third at the fourth year and the third third at the fifth year. Cigarette companies are buying that and running it in and out as fast as possible. The uh, little trick that cigarette companies are doing now in uh, domestic cigarettes in order to lower the tar and nicotine to levels and to fill the cigarettes up, there's a little process called fluffing. And what they do is they put it, they put the tobacco after it's cut into a chamber. They inject that a bunch of nitrogen into that air. It puffs up the tobacco and it makes it take up more space than it really does. Now, I'm not a scientific expert on this. I don't know the ramifications of it, but I do know that it's one way to take something small and make it bigger than it is and use less of it than it is. I can tell you that a pack of domestic-made cigarettes, and we'll pick on Philip Morris, Marlboro's, used to be about 17 grams of tobacco per pack. Now it's down to about 11 or 12. So the fluffing has added more to it. Then they put on there all the flavors and the additives and all the preservatives and all that other stuff that I don't know enough about it to say whether you know whether it's right or wrong. But pipe tobacco companies use the tobacco, then they press it down into cakes and smush it and make it smaller than it really is. They spend time aging and curing it. They buy the top grades of it, and then they take the first 30% of the weight, take that stem out, and throw it away. So they've automatically lost 30% of what they've bought right away. They use the raw leaf, and then they add moisture to it, add some additives. We all know about uh, PG or uh, the uh, moisture enhancers that are added to it. In aromatics, you get a top note and a casing. In uh, Virginia's and Orientals, nothing much happens to them. You just get some moisture added to them. No flavorings added in there. No real preservatives thrown on them. So... There's the basic difference. If you think of it as a a hand-rubbed Kobe beef versus 
grinding up the hot dogs and making uh, making sausages out of them. That's really the difference. You're paying for a lot of processing with cigarettes, and you're getting a whole lot less tobacco, less grades of tobacco, and they're not quite so concerned with the grade of tobacco. Sorry, yes, I'll wrap it up. But anyway, that's the difference. Hope that makes it kind of clear to everybody. I didn't want to get into the nicotine content or any of that, but I'll ask Fred about that coming up in just a minute. So hang on for me. We'll get Fred Hanna on the phone in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Please welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show my featured guest for tonight, the one and only Dr. Fred J. Hanna, author, pipe smoker, writer. I don't know what else to call you, but uh, other than that, you're one of the guys that I look forward to seeing at every pipe club. So, Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. It's an honor to have you have me. And uh, I've been uh, a long admi- longtime admirer of yours. And so uh, I'm ready to get rolling with all of this. Okay, wipe the brown stuff off your nose. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Fred, tell everybody, first of all, what is, what is your professional career? I am a variety of things, actually. I am a professor of uh, counseling and psychotherapy. I teach all graduate courses, in other words, master's and doctoral level courses in counseling and psychotherapy. And I do that at my main job, which is at University of Northern Colorado, and my part-time appointment at Johns Hopkins University, where I was full-time for 11 years before I moved to Colorado. I also am a consultant to various companies and agencies around the country, and I do trainings and, and that sort of thing um, here and there as sort of a side job. So basically what you're saying is you're a busy guy, so hurry up with this. <laughs> Not at all. This is the stuff I like to take my time with, my friend. Now, you started smoking a pipe uh, back when you were in college? 1967. Actually, just before I started um, college. It's summer of 67. I started college in 68. And those were wild times. And I was um, I, I was born in October of '67, so we know how long you've been smoking a pipe now. <laughs> okay. Now you have written many articles for magazines and for the NASPC's Pipe Collector. You've published a book last year, The Perfect Smoke, and it sold out quickly. I've got my personally autographed copy sitting right here in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was the reason for putting out the book? Well, okay, this is not your, uh, you know, um, typical reason. Um, my hobby is so um, consuming to me, you know, the pipe smoking hobby, that I spend a lot of time with it and I think a lot about it. And so I found myself with my head just swirling with all kinds of pipe thoughts and and, you know, hobby kinds of knowledge things and pondering the questions of tobaccos and old tobaccos and various kinds of pipes. And then I find myself, um, you know, not having my thoughts directed toward my profession, which actually makes me money. (laughs) So um, I basically wrote the book, Brian, to clear my head of all of those things, to get them on paper and you know, and so that I can uh, write a book that I've been planning on for quite a while that's actually a a professional book. I wrote a professional book that was published around 10 years ago that uh, um, was a lot of fun, and and, uh, so I have another one in mind now. And uh, writing the pipe book actually served the purpose. It did clear my head, and it was great fun to write it. So that's the uh, reason, believe it or not. Now, you're one of the few people that I will honestly say I've I've seen you do 
educational presentations. I saw the one last year in Kansas City. I missed the one here in Chicago, but you write and you present equally well, which is a nice way of buttering you up to say the uh, last Chicago Pipe Show last month or earlier Mm -hmm. this month, uh, Mm -hmm. you did a presentation on vitamin N. Mm -hmm. I missed it. Can you give give me the basics? Talk about what the presentation was for us. Okay. Uh... Well, you know, let's uh, just start out with, uh, you know, the idea that nicotine is, you know, in in the public's eye, um, largely vilified, demonized, maligned, um, and, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, despised. And most people in America, at least according to a survey that I read, most people, somewhere around 70% or so, actually believe that nicotine causes cancer. And um, I even believed that for a while myself. And um, one day I had a a chance encounter with a brain researcher at the University of Colorado at Boulder, and I met him in a pipe shop here in Colorado. And uh, he actually did studies on nicotine. It was his literally his um, professional career to study addictive drugs, especially nicotine. And I had a long conversation with him that just opened up all kinds of vistas to me, which led to my doing more uh, research into this area to find out really what the deal is with nicotine. And uh, that's pretty much what started it. Um, And there's all kinds of things about nicotine, but the first thing is that there's no evidence whatsoever in any research that nicotine causes cancer. So that's the first thing we can forget about. So is there research that does show what causes cancer in smoking? Well, there is... uh, um, Actually, there's a lot of research that's tried to find out, Brian, but nobody really knows. And... Um, many people have tried to find out. Now, some people think that it's the smoke or the heat of the smoke. Some people believe that it's the additives in cigarettes. And some people believe that, you know, it's something going on in the lungs from inhalation. But um, nobody really knows what actually causes the cancer and that is a uh, a very interesting um, question. Can I tell you the story of my meeting uh, Al at the the pipe shop? It's it's pretty revealing. Yeah, please go. Okay, um, I was uh, sitting there one day in a Friday afternoon and um, enjoying a pipe, and the uh, manager of the shop who was a chiropractor and a very educated guy, um, said to me, you know, you should um, talk to Al over there. Well, Al was sitting in another chair, and, you know, a guy who looked like maybe he was 10 years older than me. And um, so he introduced us, and I asked Al, well, you know, because he said he's a professor like you, Fred. I said, okay, well, um, So, you know, he introduced us, and I asked him, Al, what is your specialty? He said, well, I do uh, brain research. I said, in what? And he said, in addictive drugs. Well, it just so happens that I have taught addictions counseling for over 20 years, among other things, and, and I had also taken a course in psychopharmacology, So I thought, well, this would be kind of cool because I'm not familiar with brain research beyond just a, you know, a little smattering. And I thought maybe I could ask him a few questions. So we talked about, you know, um, crack, cocaine, and methamphetamine for a few minutes. And I said, "Uh, so you really, you know, what's your specialty? And he said, nicotine. I said, oh, my God, you're kidding me. So there he is smoking a cigar, and I'm thinking, well, he can't be too opposed to nicotine if he's sitting in a, you know, tobacco shop smoking a cigar. So I said, well, Al, what's the deal with nicotine? You know, does it cause cancer? And he said, no, 
just like I told you, you know, a minute ago, there's no evidence that nicotine causes cancer. Well, I kind of knew that. I said, well, here's what I want to know, Al. I have heard that nicotine actually has protective effects against Parkinson's, that people who have, you know, who ingest nicotine generally have a, a lower incidence of Parkinson's than the rest of the population. And he said, yes, that's correct. And I said, I've also heard that it has protective effects against Alzheimer's disease. And he said, yes, that is correct. And I said, um, I've read that they're trying to make a derivative of nicotine as a drug to treat these things. And he said, yes, that's also correct. And I said, well, you know, tell me, what, what do you know about this stuff? He said, well, as far as we know, now excuse me for getting technical here, Ryan, but I'm going to try and keep it plain and simple. If you, lose me, if you lose me, I'll let you know. Okay. He said there's nine receptors in the brain for nicotine, and these are natural receptors. In other words, these kinds, these uh, nicotine is such a natural drug for the human brain. There's other natural drugs too, believe it or not. Cocaine and meth are not. But um, believe it or not, um, medications such as morphine and opiates are very natural to the human brain. In other words, you can take these things, and that it's really hard to get damaged by them, whereas cocaine and meth will seriously, um, I don't know how to put it, you know, destroy the brain. Well, um, so for, for those saying, of you listening that are just regular people, they jack you up. <laughs> That's right. So basically he said that um, they are trying to put together a derivative. So I said, well, you know, how come people don't know that this stuff actually has medic med medicinal properties? You know, how come the world thinks that this is such an evil drug um, he said, Fred, here's what, here's what nicotine does. It's a, what he called a neuroprotectant. It protects the brain from degenerative effects. Now, it's not a cure, obviously, but it's a protectant. It protects the brain from breaking down, especially as it gets older. And it does other things, too. I found out later when I started doing research, but I'll get to that in a minute. Can we, so I uh, said, can well, we... what's the deal with all this derivative stuff? He said, Fred, look, it's all about money. He said, the, they have to find a derivative so that they can patent that derivative. Then they can patent it, and then they can make lots of money on it. In fact, hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases. So I said, well, you know, what's the deal with all that? What's wrong with plain old nicotine? He said, nothing, but you can't patent nicotine. It's like alcohol. You can't patent it. Nobody can patent it. Nobody owns alcohol. Nobody owns nicotine because these are naturally occurring substances. However, if you can make a derivative of it or a special kind of nicotine, then you can patent it, and then you can make the big money, and then you'll start seeing it in medicines. But he said so far every derivative that they have tried has made people puke. It gives them terrible headaches. And so in that case, in that, in, in, you know, the, none of the derivatives are worthy of actually using so far. He said, but the point is that nicotine itself is still very, very powerful. And he said, I know about trying to make the derivatives, he said, because of those nine receptors in the brain that, you know, that take nicotine, he said, my lab discovered five of them. And I'm going, holy shit, this is this guy's the real thing. Can we you take know? a can we take a break right here and we'll yeah. come back, we'll hear more from uh Fred about the receptors and nicotine and uh the money trail. So we'll be back in just a minute. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. 
With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there. Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. We are back with Fred. So, Fred, we, we see the money trail. You can't patent nicotine. So keep going. What What's next? So I, I, uh, I said to him, um, well, gee, you know, Al, so if it's really all about money, and we're both just shaking our heads. And, um, and, you know, I said, so there's definitely some benefit to this. So I said, so what about the cancer thing. I mean, what's your take on, you know, smoking? And because, you know, he's sitting there sucking down a cigar, you know, so I figured he can't, you know, he'd probably be open to talking about it. And he said, well, he said, there's no question as far as I can tell, and I've poured through the research on this, believe me, he said, that there's no evidence that um, pipes and cigars are terribly harmful at all in in small quantities in other words done in med- in moderation he's and then he holds up his cigar and he says that's why I smoke three of these a week because I want the benefits of nicotine and I said well what about cigarettes he said as nearly as I can tell and like I said earlier he you know I poured through the research he said and it's pretty clear that cigarettes really do um, relate to cancer somehow and I said to him well how does that happen how does cigarettes cause cancer he said fred if i knew that i'd be a rich man nobody (laughs) knows how cigarettes cause cancer certainly it's not nicotine i said well is it the heat no is it the additives i said i've long believed it's the additives that they put in that stuff because um it came out about 10 years ago that the um, food and drug administration actually had a deal believe it or not with Congress, or no, sorry, not with Congress, but with the tobacco companies, that they would not have to reveal the additives that they put in those cigarettes. So I'm thinking there must be some nasty shit in there. Well, or sorry, Al said that, yeah, some people believe it's the additives in the cigarettes, but nobody really knows. There's no research that's ever actually exposed it, except for the fact that smoking cigarettes has a very high incidence of lung cancer. Well, you know, I've had friends who have smoked cigarettes who have died of lung cancer, um, who I still mourn to this day, unfortunately. And so he sort of let it go, and that was most of the conversation. We talked about a few other things. I said, well, what else is research in nicotine um, revealed? And he said, well, there's uh, lots of hope for schizophrenics. Um, he said that, you know, there seems to be some kind of beneficial effect for people who have schizophrenia who, um, who smoke. And so basically we ended on good terms, of course, and uh, we had several conversations after that because I saw him in the shop, um, you know, for a period of months later. And basically he started me on going off into um, this tear on studying the effects of nicotine and i found out lots more than what i just said that that al had taught me and if you want to i'd be glad to share some of that stuff with you yeah. Brian. I, let me, let me ask want. let me ask the listeners uh yeah go ahead yeah we want to hear <laughs> wow yeah all one of them were really interested well anyway so basically one of the first things that i found was that there is a this there really is this protective effect on um, against uh, the brain's uh, degeneration, and one of the um, interesting studies that I ran across 
was a study of a drug called cotinine, and that is spelled C-O-T-I-N-I-N-E. But check this out. Cotinine is what, to, what nicotine comes when it's, becomes when it's broken down in the body. Now, the technical word for that is metabolized. When nicotine is metabolized, it becomes this drug called cotinine. It has absolutely no side effects, and it's a very, very, as they say in the trade, very clean drug. Well, they gave mice to, um, and the, you know, some who had schizophrenia, some who had dementia, um, cotinine, and found that the, um, who, you know, basically who were bred to have um, schizophrenia, et cetera, they found that this drug, cotinine, actually had a preventative effect to some extent. Now, you know, this is not a cure. I don't want to get people all excited here. It's not a cure, but it has a preventative effect against these uh, rather nasty diseases. Then I found a very, very interesting study. This absolutely blew me away when I saw this, Brian. It's um, a very highly sophisticated statistical study called a meta-analysis, M-E-T-A analysis, right? And this is basically a statistical procedure where they study many studies on a particular subject. So you've maybe ran across things, you know, where some studies say this and some studies say something else. The purpose of a meta-analysis is to literally analyze all of these different studies, put them all on the same um, sort of ground, and then determine what their value are or, or is in terms of their actual validity. Well, I don't want to get too technical here, but the point is is that I ran across in a very, very prestigious journal, I ran across a study on nicotine and the effects of nicotine. Now, this is in a very prestigious journal called Psychopharmacology. What is a prestigious journal? What that means is they have very, very high standards for anything they publish. They don't publish junk science and bullshit. So, you know, these are people who really know what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. And I know a little bit about the game. I've served on the editorial boards of six journals. So I know how they work, right? And some of them are high quality and some of them not so high quality. So anyway, the, <clears throat> the point of this is that the meta-analysis revealed that nicotine has very be- beneficial effects over and above what I've already said. Check this out. One of the effects of nicotine is that it helps a person to focus attention. It actually brings about a state of mind where one's attention is actually focused and concentrated, if the person wants it to be. Another effect is that it helps in terms of short-term and what we call working memory. In other words, what you hold in your mind, et cetera, et cetera. Another effect is that it helps with fine motor skills. So, like, for example, if a person, that's nothing to do with driving, by the way. Motor (laughs) skills has to do with control of one's hands, one's fingers, and very, very delicate movements. And, like I said, also, it helps with memory in in a variety of different ways. And it even helps with learning. So here, but here's the kicker. I mean, all that's an amazing thing about nicotine. But here's the kicker, man. This is what blew me away. The effects of the nicotine on learning and memory and focused attention last longer than the effects of the drug itself. In other words, the drug may last, you know, for what, half an hour, but the effects go on after that half an hour. The benefits still continue. And so here we are. We have these professional researchers who a lot of you know, pipe smokers and cigarette smokers love to hate, and they're saying we should be using this stuff as medicine for cog- people with cognitive deficiencies and et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, nicotine has this tremendously positive effect. Blew me away. Blew me away. And I can go on, you know, so you uh, tell me to shut up here whenever you're ready. I'll tell you what I do want to do. 
I want to take another break. I want to hold you on for a little bit longer so that we can talk about a little bit about the uh, tobaccos that you've blended and a little bit about what you think is a uh, proper dose. So if you'll hang with me for a few more minutes. Sure. All right. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We are back with Dr. Fred Hanna, and uh, I believe you've just proven Einstein's quote, which is, uh, Einstein said, I believe that pipe smoking contributes to a somewhat calm and objective judgment in all human affairs. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Actually, I wrote an article about this uh, in uh, Pipes and Tobacco's magazine a while ago in terms of, uh, I think it was called Pipe Smoking and Problem Solving. Um yeah, see, the, the this relates directly because a calm judgment, et cetera, et cetera, what that does is, I think, address the point that nicotine, especially when it's smoked in a pipe, in my opinion, does have that ability to focus our attention and to give us more control over our attention, which is something that's called selective attention, actually. The... Uh, the curious thing about that is that, you know, many people um, who I've spoken to and will tell you, and according to research as well, that um, nicotine seems to reduce anxiety and even reduce depression. I remember doing a survey. Now, there had to be, I don't know for sure how many people were in the audience at, at the Chicago show, Brian. But there were at least, I'd say, 150 to 200 people there in the tent when I gave this talk. And I did a quick survey of those people and asked them, how many of you find that smoking a pipe actually reduces your anxiety about, you know, everyday affairs, et cetera, et cetera, and gives you a, a sense of calm, like um, Einstein said. And I don't think it's an exaggeration at all um, to say that three-quarters of those hands were up in the air, and um, it may have been more. And then I said, how many people find that when they're troubled or depressed that smoking a pipe has the effect of lifting your spirits? And once again, I think it was slightly less this time, but once again, um, well over half, I'd say at least 60, maybe 70 percent, as a general guess, you understand, this is hardly scientific, but those hands went up in the air. Now, I know that in my own case, when I'm troubled about something, then I find that smoking a pipe helps me and also with anxiety. It's remarkable, absolutely remarkable thing. It's like this big secret that all of us have in pipe smoking, and yet the world does not seem to understand at all. It's why I say in my book that pipe smoking is the world's most underrated pleasure. And I've found that it occupies all my senses because you touch the you're, you're touching the pipe so you get the feel of the pipe, you get the taste of the tobacco, you get the smell of the aroma. Yeah. It it just seems to occupy every other sense and then allows you to actually focus on something that you want to or by occupying all the senses it takes away all the noise. Absolutely true. And there's also that visual sense, too, where you look at the shape of the pipe, you watch the smoke coming out of the pipe. One of the things that I've noticed is I've tried smoking in the dark. It's the damnedest thing. But I've tried smoking in absolute pitch black dark. And there's something that's really necessary about seeing the smoke in order to further enhance the enjoyment. Have you found that, too? Have you ever noticed that? I don't spend much time in the dark unless I'm sleeping. For me, I'm pretty much in the dark all the time. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let's let's roll on and talk about talk about the book. It is the perfect smoke. It's out of print. Can't get anymore, right? Yeah, but um, thanks to the guys at the NASPC Press, we're about to put it on Kindle for those uh, folks who have uh, you know some sort of uh, uh, reader. 
um, you know, one of those many electronic uh, books that can do Kindle or whatever. So we will be putting it on, on Kindle through Amazon.com, I think, in the next month or so. Yeah, let me know when it happens, and I'll make sure and announce it. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate uh, that. You are also the blender of two tobaccos, Wilderness and Legends, both uh-huh. manufactured for you by McClelland. Uh-huh. Uh, so that occupied some free time playing with those, I would guess. Yeah, that was uh, great fun. I I was like, uh, you know, a kid in a candy store or a pig in you-know-what. Um, Mike uh, McNeil sent me a lot of very rare Orientals and um, pretty much whatever I wanted, other unavailable stuff, including that tremendous Syrian Latakia that they have. And he basically said, uh, go to it. So I gave him one, the first one, which is Legends, and the second one, which took a little longer, was Wilderness. And I just had a ball. But, you know, the last person I need to explain this to is you, Brian, because you know far more about tobacco than I do. I mean, you you know, I'm sure you're very modest about it, but you have vast tobacco knowledge, and your listeners need to know that as well. And that, um, that brown stuff's on your nose again there. Uh, yeah, well, I find that it washes off pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, but I know absolutely nothing about blending English blends because... I'd be the worst one. To... Oh, that's right. You're a Virginia guy. Yeah. yeah. So you, you took perfectly good tobacco, put that Syrian stuff in it, and <laughs> ruined it. Yeah. Well, I've ruined other things, too. It wasn't, that wasn't the only time I did that. And, and that's just my opinion. But yeah. let's wrap this up with the uh, fast five final questions. Short answer, long answer, no wrong or right answer, and I can't wait to hear a couple of yours. So are you ready? Yeah, yeah, sure. What's your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is, you mean an individual pipe that I currently own? Just answer the question, sir. Um, I have a big, fat, uh, bent Sheraton Supreme um, in the old 44 fat, bent billiard shape that I just love to smoke. And I don't know if it's my absolute favorite, but it's right up there among the top three or four. And I'm guessing it's a perfect straight grain. It's pretty damn good straight grain. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite tobacco? My favorite tobacco, boy, I hate to say this because it sounds, uh, you know, um, self-serving, but it's wilderness. And But I blended it to be my favorite tobacco, so it shouldn't be a surprise that I like it so much. If you don't like one of your own tobaccos, you're in trouble. Boy, I hear that. Uh, what's your favorite drink? My favorite drink is um, French Bourgogne, in other words, red burgundy from the Cote de Nuit, and that would include Le Moussigny and some of the Vaughan Romanes. These are wines, by the way. Oh, thank you. And okay, those, good. <laughs> those are the wines. Those are the, that's the stuff that blows me away, man. I thought we were just getting in trouble with the French censors there. <laughs> yeah. Right. What's your favorite thing to do while smoking a pipe? <clears throat> right. And where's your favorite place to smoke a pipe? Probably, there's a lot of places, but probably in my little office here um, where I keep my collection and all my tobacco collection and um, computers to write and tons of books to read. I'm just a pig in shit, Brian. I don't know how else to put it. And you're an awfully lucky guy. Give my best to your wife. Fred, thank you for all your time. Thank you, Brian. I just want your listeners to know how lucky they are that we have something like this in our hobby, first of all. And the fact that you're doing it makes even higher quality. And, and thanks for having me. It's an honor. And I get to see you and kiss your bald head in uh, Kansas City in a couple of weeks. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Take care, man. With that, we'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. We 
are back. We're going to blow right through the music for this week. I'll play it next week, I promise. Thank you, Kevin, for letting us go a little bit longer on that. That's a lot of good stuff. Love talking to Fred, except sometimes my head hurts a little bit after him because he's so smart and I feel so average afterwards. Usually when we get into a conversation, it's me and Fred and I bring it down to my level. But uh, let me engage some uh, alcohol receptor devices here and then we'll jump into the mailbag real quick. Okay, here we go. Mailbag. Uh, Check out on the forums. Big Van's been posting some uh, great pictures of the Chicago Pipe Show. Saw a lot of stuff in his pictures that I didn't see in anybody else's, and I didn't get a chance to see that. So if you get a chance, hop on the forums at pipesmagazine.com. Take a look at Big Van. I think he's up to six uh, six different posts. So check those out. Make sure and check out all the... uh, is it three reports on the Chicago Pipe Show now that have been posted on PipesMagazine.com on the front page? Check those out. Also, on PipesMagazine.com, new Pipe Babe shoot with the uh, lovely Smokey Joe's uh, smoking jackets. So a lot of stuff to check out up on PipesMagazine.com. Um, one of the things I really like about doing this radio show is I learn stuff on a regular basis. With Marco's interview, the Brazilian beetles that are used to make the black stain on the pearl and in the black dot. Wonderful stuff. Love learning new things. Uh, Herkman, the Starbucks 25 feet thing, I think that's a, a regional law that's being put into effect where you live As far as I know, Starbucks is still not enforcing anything beyond what the local area demands of them. Uh, Big news. Big news. Going to be posted at uh, PipesMagazine.com tomorrow, but I'm going to leak it to you here. Capstan and Three Nuns are coming to the United States. They're going to be exclusively at SmokingPipes.com. McBaron's making them for them. I believe the launch is June 10th, so you heard it here first. I scooped everybody. (laughs) So, uh, after this uh, celebrity message, it'll be rant time. This is Lord Vader, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Celebrity voices are impersonated. Cowboy. Cowboy. As I mentioned earlier, spent the weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway for the races this weekend. My daughter and I were on and off a pit road in the garages, wandering around, seeing all the drivers, meeting people, taking pictures, getting autographs. Got a chance to spend some time with uh, Rick Hendrick, Casey Kane, Denny Hamlin, my daughter's favorite. Got him to autograph a poster for her. He was perfectly pleasant. Uh, Some of the younger guys, Trevor Bain, Ricky Stenhouse, Justin Allgaier, all these guys, wonderful guys, the pit crews, even uh, Coach Joe Gibbs, we got an autograph from him. Take a look at my Facebook page, you'll see a bunch of those pictures. But I want to say to uh, Jimmy Johnson, bite me, all right? The end of the race on Sunday, his car's all busted up. We're back at the hauler while they're loading it in. My daughter wants to get an autograph for my son. That was his favorite. He's been, you know, he was at home recovering from surgery. So we bought a hat, bought a, a number 48 Jimmy Johnson hat, wanted to get it autographed. We got Rick Hendrick to autograph it. We got Chad Knaus to autograph it. She's waiting there quietly and politely for Jimmy to finish the conversation. There are only two other fans in the area. It's late after the race. He walks right towards her, has eye contact. She asks politely for the autograph. He just looks down and keeps walking right by her. You know what? If you're in this business and you don't want to stop and take the time to grab a pen that she already had open and autograph a hat that she had out in front of him, then you know what? You need to get in. You, you need to get into something else. If you don't like giving autographs and you're famous for not liking to give autographs, Jimmy Johnson, then you shouldn't have done this. Shouldn't have picked this as your career. 
Because I'll tell you this much. The only thing I want to see your car doing is hitting the wall. If you, if anybody listening to this show knows Jimmy Johnson, or Jimmy, if you happen to be listening, you lost a couple of fans right there, and I hope all the listeners know that uh, Jimmy's just not a nice guy. Jimmy's so full of himself, and he had a rough night, so he didn't want to do an autograph for one 15-year-old girl. That was the only fan in the area. It wasn't like he was going to get stopped. He could have taken the pen and the hat and walked with it. So there you go. Lots of great people in NASCAR. Jimmy Johnson, you're not one of them. Hey, make sure and uh, follow me on Facebook. You'll see pictures that I posted from the weekend. Uh, check out my uh, Disney Tabacchiana collection that's posted on there. I have a fan page for that. Appreciate all those iTunes reviews. Uh, Kansas City Pipe Show coming up. What else do I have to say? That's about it. So I will leave you with this. Until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather And remember, if you've had half as much fun as I've had, then I've obviously had twice as much fun as you.